We find ourselves in the middle of the eighth chapter. We're going to pick up at verse 31. This morning, Jesus is in the midst of a discussion um, with the Jews, and he spent much time trying to make clear to them who he is. They're seeming to struggle to get it. He's told them that he's the light of the world, that he's the one who bears witness of the Father. And he says, if you don't know me, you don't know the Father. And he calls them to believe in him, lest they die in their sins. And as we saw at the very conclusion of the passage last week, we read that many believed in him. And it's there that we pick up at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will, know, you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, you will be doing the works that Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, were we, we, we were not born in sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you are a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that, I do not know him, I would be a liar like you but I know him, and I keep his words. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. It's a big passage. Would you help us through it? Would you help us to see the wonder and the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ presented before us this day? And to know something of the freedom that he has to offer. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Many of you know the name Oliver Cromwell, a 17th century British politician who uh, helped take the throne away from Charles I, establishing the Commonwealth. And one of the things he's famous for saying, you may have heard it before, you know, he has all these people cheering for him and everybody's celebrating him. And he said this to a friend, do not trust to the cheering for those persons would shout as much if you and I were, being, were going to be hanged. You see, he knew something about how fickle people are. One moment, they're all excited about something. The next moment, they're ready to hang you. I I think Jesus understands something of that about people. In fact, we've seen that as we've moved through the Gospel of John, as he he struggles to entrust himself to others. And, And here in our passage this morning, we start off with a strange phrase. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, now, we, we hear those words, and, and we begin to get a little excited. There's these people who believe in Jesus. You know, he's starting to accumulate his followers, but I think it might not mean as much as we think it means as we look at it. And if you're paying attention to the passage, you know, what does he say to these people? What does he call them? Verse 34, he calls them slaves to sin. 37 and 40, they, he says that they seek to kill him. Verse 44, he says that their father is the devil. 47, he says you're not of God. And by the end of our passage, of course, what are these people who believed in him, what are they doing? They're picking up stones to throw, throw at him. So let's keep that in mind. Let's keep this fickle nature of this crowd in mind as we move our way through this passage. It's to this fickle crowd that Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus here, he, se- he seems to not be satisfied whatever, with whatever this belief is in him, does he? He calls them to something more. He calls them to abide in him. That is, remain in him, stay with him, reside, if you will, in him. Okay? Be that closely connected with him, to persevere with him, to have true faith, not a momentary faith that says, oh, yes, Jesus, we believe in you. Not just a momentary raising our hand and saying yes to Jesus. He's talking about something much deeper something much more permanent, something that abides, an abiding trust in him, abiding trust in the words that he is telling them. We have here, I think, a little bit of a distinction between a profession of faith, that is, saying the words, you know, the words coming out of our mouth are are raising our hands to Jesus, and I think Jesus here is distinguishing that from something that we might call possession of actual faith actually possessing the faith, this this abiding in the word, something that you actually have because you persevere in that word, because you truly know the truth, not just on the day that you raise your hand, but you know it the next day and the next and a week later and a month later and a year later. You continue to trust Jesus' words, his words that are the truth, the glory of this wonderful gospel that he has been presenting before the people he's calling them and us to abide in that truth, to abide in that worth. And and what comes from that? He says freedom. Freedom comes out of that. 
true freedom, no, no longer enslaved. He's going to talk a little bit more about what that slavery is too in a minute, but no longer enslaved, but able to live as free people. Now, his audience, immediately, they, they, they get what he's saying, and what do they say? What? No, no, we aren't slaves. Who are we? They, they go on to say, we, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. How, how can you say that we are going to become free? And we begin to see that their lack of believing begins to show, doesn't it? They, they don't really understand Jesus' words. Whatever they're believing in is, is not the truth that, that Jesus is bringing before them. What do they say? Oh, we're Abraham's kids. We, we got the genealogical record to, to point to. We're the seed of, of Abraham, and, and because of our relationship to Abraham, we are free. We have spiritual freedom. Maybe we hear something similar in our own minds at times or from those around us, that somehow because our parents are believers, we're believers, or because we're in the church or because you're gathered here on Sunday morning, you know, it just, we're able to just kind of check off that box and we get like automatic entry. And it seems like that's what these Jewish people are struggling with. They think they get automatic entry, that, that they just, by nature, by just being born, they have spiritual freedom, and Jesus is trying to point them to, to something great, much greater, and he's showing there's something wrong with your, your heart. So he defines a little bit more of what this, what this slavery looks like. Verse 34, what does he say? What is this slavery? Everyone who practices sin, he says, is a slave to sin. He says that it's not just sin, it's not just doing things, it's not just the acts that are the problem. He talks about something much, much deeper. He, he talks about the very disposition of our will, that our wills are in, in a sense enslaved to something, enslaved to sin. Doing a little reading on slavery this week and, and just how, just the psychological manipulation that takes place in the context of slavery. One author wrote this, the, the wildly had conception of a slave is someone who's in chains who would escape if they had the chance, right? They're just going to get out if they could. But this view is actually naive in my experience. Slaves often know that their enslavement is illegal. Force, violence, and psychological coercion have convinced them, though, to accept it. <laughs> When slaves begin to accept their role and identity with their master, constant physical bondage becomes unnecessary. In fact, some slaves, he goes on to write in Thailand, are even allowed to visit their families during holidays for they're always come back. Slavery is insidious. And, and one of the worst parts about the slavery, and actually what we see on show here with these Jewish people is what? So you begin to convince yourself that you're not really enslaved in some way or another that you're not really in bondage, that things aren't really as bad as they are. We need to understand Jesus is here bringing to the fore just how bad things really are in the world. He's trying to shake these people. Will you not listen? Will you not listen to me? You, you sin because you are a slave to sin. It's the very disposition of your will is to do that which is contrary to the will of my Father. And the only way out of this is the very way that Jesus has been talking about in the Gospel of John, right? This idea of this, this, this new birth. This idea that the, the Father is going to, to draw them, that it would be granted to their Father to do what? To believe 
in Him, to trust Him, to trust, as we start off our passage, to trust in His Word, to abide in His Word and the truth of His Word and cling to the truth of it. Jesus gives them a little illustration. Verse 35, the the slave doesn't remain in the house forever, he says. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What does Jesus talk about? What, What is necessary? What do they need? What do we need? He talks about a change in status here, doesn't he? The problem with his audience is they think that they already have the status. They think they're already sons. They think if they will, put in spirit, that they're spiritually safe. They think they're safe. But Jesus says, no, you're not safe. You are slaves of sin. You're not sons. And what is the only way to be safe? The only way to be safe is in the Son. It's the Son alone with whom you can be safe. The one who, who always has been, who always will be. The one who was with the Father in the beginning. It's through Him that you can be safe. It's he who can set you free. And if he sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, as audience, they're struggling to believe this, right? They, they, they can't see it. They're enslaved to it. They, they don't realize how much bondage they're actually suffering. They think it's not that bad. And so, I, I think it's good for us to be reminded Oh, we need to constantly be reminded of how bad sin is. The bondage of sin, do you, do you know the bondage of sin without Christ? Do you know how bad, how deep it is? Do you know how that without Christ you are a slave to sin and you would never choose any other? Do you know, have you looked to the only one who can free you from that slavery. Another way to think of it this morning is, do you really know, do you really understand how bad sin is? Do you really understand how bad it is in your life? Do you realize how much it's corrupted our world, but not just our world and to point out there, but how much it's corrupted you? Do you understand how bad this sin is? And, and his audience, they don't want to believe it. They don't want to see it. So to help them understand Jesus tries to help them understand, okay, maybe we need to take a little different tact. We need to help you to understand who your father really is. So he says, let's talk about your genealogy. Let's talk about this family tree. That was just the last week. We were down in Georgia and, you know, looking there, the headstone of my great-great-grandfather. You know, what does it say? You know, it says that he came from Atrum, Ireland. And, you know, it kind of brings like, it's like, oh, it's, oh this is my great-great-grandfather who came over on a boat from Ireland back many, many years ago. We get excited about our family trees. I, I can remember, I've shared it with you before, I, I get excited, or I used to get excited um, come Thanksgiving because I get excited to share everybody and, and tell everybody and raise my hand in class in elementary school that, oh, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, I probably didn't get that right, um, was John Halland, and that's exciting, right? But no, because then I go on to tell the story. Well, John Hallen, he came over on the Mayflower. I'd be all excited about that. Later on in high school, I actually did the work of my family tree. And it kept coming, not to John Hallen, but it kept coming to his brother, Henry. Henry, who was actually, he was over there in that first year of the Plymouth Colony, so that's a little exciting. 
But he also, there's records of him being in jail several times. And you get a little less excited about, about those things. You get a less, less excited when you look at the records of, of your family tree and you read that your, your great-great-great-great-grandfather is recorded in the census record as being a laborer and illiterate is written there in the census record. The Jews... These people that he's talking to, they're very excited about their family tree. They're very excited about their genealogy. And Jesus says to them, verse 37, I know you are the offspring of Abraham. I know about your genealogy. I know about your family tree. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. He speaks about how they're the offspring, the seed. And, and this idea of offspring, it's really important in Scripture from, from beginning to end. We see it show up in Genesis 3. You might remember the, the curse to the serpent, right? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your, what, offspring, okay, same language here, the seed, offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we know this is the, that, that great promise of the Messiah, right, that, that offspring that is to come. But this is a great setup for what we actually see, this drama that unfolds throughout biblical history, this, this drama between two seeds, the drama between the seed of the woman, that is, the children of God, and these seeds, these children of the serpent. And it seems like these, the, the people that, Je that Jesus is speaking to, that they don't quite get this. They don't, they don't understand these distinctions. They, they don't understand how you get in one family or the other. They think it's totally about what you're born into. It's totally about physical birth. But it's not the case. It's much like the Apostle Paul says in Romans, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Do you hear that? It's about the heart. That's how one is, is really a Jew. That's how one is really a child of Abraham and, and and Jesus is trying to get them to understand. Do you understand your lineage? It's not just based on who you were born to. There's something more going on. If you're a legitimate seed, Jesus is saying, then what? Then my words, the words of the one who has come from the Father would find their place in you. Because he says in verse 38, what, you know, I've come from the Father and I speak to you words from the Father. And yet what do you do? You do what you have heard from your Father. What is he distinguishing here? saying, my father is different from your father. We're, we're not of the same parentage. There's, there's something else going on here. And, and your father is clear based on what? Based on your actions, based on your life, based on where you are truly putting your faith, based on what you are truly believing in, determines your father. Now, of course, what, what is their response? Verse 39, what do they say? No, Abraham is our father. We know who our father is. We know exactly who it is. And actually, we, we think we're justified in that. We, we live the lives of the children of Abraham, but Jesus will have none of it. He says, if, if you were, if this were the case, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. But yeah, what are you doing now? You're, you're seeking to kill me. You're seeking to kill the one who's, who's come and the one who's told you the truth. The one who's brought the truth to you, and, and what are you doing? You're seeking to kill it. That's not what Abraham did. Again, you're doing the works of your father. 
this distinction between his father and their father. He's saying to them, you may not realize it, you're enslaved. You don't know who your father is. You're, you're, you're blinded to it. But your actions make clear who your father is. It makes clear that you are, in fact, slaves. But what does Jesus want for them? What does he want for you and I this morning? He, he wants them to know the freedom that he comes to bring, right? The same kind of freedom that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, this desire for this true freedom and this true joy. But, but what do their lives show forth? They're not free at all. They're enslaved, enslaved to the principles of this world. And Jesus wants for them, and he wants us to have true freedom. Let's make sure we understand what that freedom is. Sometimes we think of freedom, to, that the freedom is, is just the freedom to do whatever we want. Understand that's not true freedom. That's actually those who are enslaved. That's actually the kind of people that Jesus is talking to here. Because real freedom allows you to do what? Real freedom allows you to do that which you are made to do. That which you are created to do. You know, we a shorter catechism here at our church. You know, what does it say? What is our chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what we are made for, Right? You go back to Genesis 1, and, and we see that we are created in the image of God. And what, for what purpose? To, to glorify him, to spread to the ends of the earth. That's what we are created. That's what we are made for. And what does Jesus come to do? He comes to set us free. But what is that freedom for? Not to glorify ourselves. Not for our own purposes. Not to just get to do whatever we want, but we get the privilege of glorifying Him and enjoying Him. That's what we were made for. And everything in this life is going to always come up to like a dead end every time we pursue it. And then everything in our lives, you notice how everything just keeps coming up short, right? And we never quite get to the destination that we want as we pursue the, the particular loves of our heart and whatever it is we're pursuing. Why is that? Because that, those weren't the things that we were made for. We were made to glorify Him. So as they're hearing Jesus talk to them about who their father is and questioning who their father is, what do they say? End of verse 41, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Here it seems like this might be a little bit of a slam against Jesus. A little bit of a reference to the fact that Joseph and Mary weren't married whenever he was born, and they're bringing it up. We, 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 we know your parentage, Jesus, but we also know ours. We, we, Hagar, the slave woman, she, she wasn't our great-great-great-whatever grandmother. Sarah was. They look back to places like Exodus, and, and, and they hear the word of the Lord that says, Israel is my firstborn son. And Jesus responds, if God were your father. No, if, if God were your father, you would love me. Why would you love me? Because I came from the father. And I, I came not of my own accord, I came because he sent me. If I've sent from the father, if you love the father, you would love me. 
because he sent me to you. Why do you not understand what I say? You can't bear to hear these words. Jesus says, again, you're not listening to me. You keep thinking it's about physical lineage. You, You keep thinking it's because of some ethnic marker on you. But Jesus says, no, it's about a spiritual lineage. And in fact, throughout Scripture, it's always been about the same thing. It's always been about the heart. What was the call of Moses to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy? And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul? That's always been the call. That's always been the longing. That's, that's, that's always what has been the demarcation of the people of God. People who truly love Him with all of their heart, with all of their soul. Not who just say, oh, I'm in because I was born in. But Jesus says, this slavery is so bad, you can't hear me. You can't hear me. You're incapable of hearing me. And so this point that I think Jesus begins to get, like, okay, you're still not getting it. Let me do something that's going to just make sure that you understand that we're, like, on two different planes here. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. Those are fighting words, aren't they? And your will is to do your father's desires, the will of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He says, the one that you follow is a murderer and a liar who murdered Adam and Eve in the garden, remember? And how did he murder him? He murdered him through a lie. He said, you will not surely die. And what happened? They surely died. Spiritual spiritual death. He he is the original murderer, the the original liar. And, And what are they now doing? Jesus is saying, I can recognize you. I can recognize who your father is by what you're doing. You're seeking to kill me. And you're seeking to kill me via what? Lies. We'll, we'll actually even see one of those lies in just a moment. But this is a hard truth Jesus drops on them, isn't it? You're of your father, the devil. And it's a reminder back all the way to Genesis 3, this idea that there are two, two different seeds. There's two different offsprings. There's two different families. It's this incredibly hard truth that you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. That applies to every single one of you in this room right now. Every one of our loved ones outside of this room. As hard as it may be, and as much as sometimes we don't want to think in those kind of terms, that's how stark it is. There is no in-between. There is no halfway in to being a child of God or halfway in to being a child of the devil. It's all or nothing. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, but you don't believe me. Which one of you can convict me of sin? You can't. What do you got against me? And how amazing this is that our our Savior has a perfect, clean record, and they have nothing to bring. If I tell you, 
why do you not believe me? And he explains why they can't believe him, because whoever is of God hears the words of God. But what is their problem? The reason why you do not hear them is because you aren't of God. Okay? You're either of God or not. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. There is no in-between. Now, as I said, these are fighting words, aren't they? There, you can just imagine how, I, I, could, I would just love to have seen the faces as they heard these words of Jesus whenever he said, you're a child of the devil. <laughs> what do they say? Verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Where does that come from? They call his lineage into question. That's the only thing they can do to, to, to try to make sense of what they're hearing. By doing so, you know what they do. They prove Jesus' case right here, right? What are they doing? They're lying. They're lying just like their father, the devil. Jesus says, I do not have a demon. I honor my father. You dishonor me. I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I'm not here for my own glory. I'm here for his. That's how you can know that it's really me. I'm not here looking for my own glory. I'm trying to glorify him truly, truly. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, back to that, that if anyone abides in my word, if anyone keeps my word, what? He will never see death. And here, in the midst of this dark darkness of these, these seeds and, and, and telling them that, that their father is the devil, he, he presents this wonderful, wonderful promise to all who will truly believe his words. Not just raise their hand in a moment, but truly abide in his words. To them what? They will never see death. To them that, that death of Genesis 3 will be erased. They, they can't comprehend it. Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. How can you say what you're saying here? It makes no sense. Are you greater than Father Abraham? He died. Are you? And the prophets, they died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who, who, who are you? You're claiming to be greater than Abraham? Greater than the prophets? And Jesus again says, it's not me who's trying to glorify myself. It's my Father who glorifies me. But you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say that I didn't know him, then I would be a liar just like you. But I've, I'm coming and I'm telling you the truth. But you can't receive it. And he says, your father, Abraham, he rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. You see, th those promises to Abraham that we see in like Genesis 12, 15, 17, the, these, these incredible promises, there were moments whenever Abraham was able to what? To look forward to the Messiah. So any Jewish person, the, these people in his crowd would say, oh yes, Abraham saw the day of the Messiah. He looked forward to, he longed for the day that Messiah would come. But Jesus takes it a step further, doesn't he? 
He says, Father Abraham, rejoice that he would see not the day of the Messiah, but that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. I'm the Messiah. They, they can't make sense of it. To them, this is crazy talk. Verse 57, you're not even 50 years old, yet you say you've seen Abraham? Now that 50 years, that's like a round number. Don't make too much of that. But basically what they're saying is this is crazy talk. How in the world did Abraham see you? This, that you're, you're not making any sense now, Jesus. And because they still don't get it, he's already dropped a couple of bombs in our passage, right? Now he drops the atomic bomb, if you will, of our passage. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He, he leaves no doubt. Maybe for some of us, it, it, you know, you got to kind of squint at it and try to figure out what he's saying. For his audience, there, there was no mistaking what he said. Their minds would have immediately probably gone to Exodus 3, that, where Yahweh is in the burning bush, right? And what does he say? I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He is the great I am. And, and Jesus proclaims that. They, they may have all, their minds may have also gone to like the end of I, Isaiah where multiple times God speaks of himself and refers to himself and he, says, he speaks like this. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am He. That I am He here, it's the exact same language, it's the same verbiage, if you will. Saying, I am He. Who, this is a big proclamation. This is something that, that they all would have immediately known at this point. There is absolutely no doubt about what Jesus has been saying and what He is saying. With those words... It makes clear he is saying, I am the father of Abraham. I am the one who is in the burning bush. I am Yahweh. The one who put the heavens and stars in their place. And they know it. There's no doubt, so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Again, just as an aside, we have Jesus escaping, and it's kind of like amazing, you know, how do you escape a stoning with a big crowd and stuff? But Jesus keeps managing all these escapes. Why they pick up stones to throw him? Because they hear, they know clearly what he said. He's claiming to be God himself. And they're fulfilling the words of Leviticus 24, that whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall stone him. They can't believe it. They believe he must be blaspheming to claim that he is God? No way. Impossible. They know what he's claiming, and it's a bold claim, a bold claim that every single one of us in this room must wrestle with. He says... I am He. I am the God who created everything. We all 
aside, what, what do we make of that claim? Can't help but go to those words of C.S. Lewis we've all heard many times, but I'm going to use them again because they're so good. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God, the very thing we're wrestling with in this passage. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You cannot shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. You know, the, the one thing going for the Jews in this passage, they understand his claim. And they step clearly into one camp, don't they? They pick up stones to throw at him. They understand that it's an all or nothing thing. He either is who he says he is or he is not. There is no between. Please, please don't patronize Jesus by giving him some sort of half-hearted acknowledgement. He either is who he claims to be or he is the greatest fraud in human history. Which is it? And it all brings us back to where things started. Remember what Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. If you believe in him, if you trust in him, if you believe that what he says is really true, if you believe that he really is the great I am who, who came to redeem us, to give his life for us, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. What is that truth going to set us free from? What does it set us free from? It sets us free from slavery to sin. Freed from guilt of sin. If you're in Christ, you no longer have a guilty record. You've been given You've been given Jesus' perfect record. It's amazing. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Him, if you know the truth, if you've abided in Him, then what? There is no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for your sin. That death that, that came into the garden of Genesis 3 is no longer true about you. It's been reversed. And you have access to the Father, free to follow Him, free to love Him free to live as we were created to be, free to worship Him, 
free to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Jesus said, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Are you free? Are you free? Do you know the truth? of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you know the truth of the great I am? If so, you will be free indeed. You will, as Jesus said, never taste death. What about you? Who do you say that he is? Which family are you in? Are you a child of God? Are you a child of the devil? There is no in between. Which one are you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the words, his words that we have before us. We thank you for the reminder today of the one who came to free us from the bondage of sin, to free us from slavery to sin. Would you help us to believe and trust and abide in his word? Abide in the good news of the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ, the one alone who can save. Would you do that for us? Would you be at work in us, convincing us more and more of the truth and that that truth would truly bring us freedom? We pray this all in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.